1: Our guest today is Oki Mech, who is the Senior Advisor to the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. So, Oki, thank you so much for joining us on AI Today.
2: Thank you for having me, Kathleen and Ron.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at HHS.
2: Okay. Yes, I I am the Senior Advisor to HSS CIO. And I'm also the technical integration lead for HSS Reimagine. But my background is really cybersecurity. But my principle around cybersecurity is that just knowing cyber alone is not enough. You really need to know and understand the business. So I've been with HR, with finance, budget, grants, acquisitions. I was even a sponsor to help onboard new employees for you know personnel security and badges and laptops. So I I find that to be very critical and crucial in terms of modernization in the government, just knowing the 360, just understanding what, you know, what budget stream is coming through, what is the budget calendar, how do you acquisition services and products, and even just, you know, getting people on board with badges and laptops. Just getting that 360 view has been very critical in terms of, you know, modernizing and trying to innovate and trying to change the landscape of embracing emerging tech and dealing with big data paradigm shifts.
1: Excellent. Yeah, it's definitely the government's really been a really interesting adopter, not just in technology in general, but especially with artificial intelligence, because... You know, AI is a transformative technology, just like, uh, you know, many of the other big transformative waves in the internet and mobile and big data and some of the other, the, the cloud and now 5G and then blockchain. So all these technologies are transformative, right? They change a whole lot of things. They're multi-system, they're multidisciplinary, And so obviously there are many ways that we see AI being applied to government agencies and organizations. And we've been very impressed. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about here a lot at AI today is sort of the many ways in which AI is being adopted, not only in industry as a whole, but especially in government. And very impressive, actually, some of these ways that hopefully it's making the government more responsive, more efficient, more effective more, you know, give it more visibility into things. So can you tell us some of the ways that HHS is currently adopting AI and various AI solutions and maybe how those ways are unique to HHS or perhaps similar to what other different governmental agencies are doing in the space?
2: Yeah, so uh, we... Start, Jose Arrieta, the HSS CIO and I started a program called Accelerate, leveraging AI, machine learning, and blockchain. It was the first blockchain network that has been authorized to operate in the federal government. But in terms of AI, I think we are using similar to other agencies. Mainly, we use it to clean and format the data. And as you know, if you deal with a lot of data sets and AI needs data, the biggest thing is cleaning the data. 90 I, I believe 90% of it is cleaning the data. People want to do AI, they want to do machine learning, they want to do RPA, but if they don't focus on AI, they're going to think up for a root of because cleaning the data is the biggest component of that process. So we use A machine learning to basically normalize the data from different data sets using supervised and unsupervised learning to normalize the data. And then we also get into linear regression as well in terms of predictive analysis. One of the main things that we do with uh, Accelerate is looking at prices paid because HSS is so large. We do about $25 in spending on products and services. Just mining the data and cleaning the data, it, it was a big haul. Just to look at, you know, why are we buying things at different prices? And a good example is, you know, and I'm just throwing an example. Why are we buying Adobe Pro at CMS for $80 per license? And we're buying at at CDC $30 per per license. There's an opportunity to mine the data, to come to the table, to be able to negotiate a different price. And you can't come to the table to negotiate without having that insight. So data cleaning and looking at data mining and looking at predictive analysis are the three main usage for AI, at least for us.
0: That's great. You know, at Cognolytica, we produced a report last year, and then we did a follow up report this year on data prep and data labeling. And I think that a lot of people underestimate how long it's going to take to actually get their data into a usable right. state. So it's great that you pointed that out because I think that people underestimate the time and the difficulty that sometimes it can be to actually get data in a usable state. And right. data is the heart of AI. So you need that for these systems to learn. As a government agency, adoption of new technologies such as artificial intelligence can Bring its own unique set of challenges that sometimes the private sector doesn't always run into. These can be issues around privacy, data usage, you know, what can and can't be used, where it can be stored. So can you tell us some of the challenges you've seen with AI adoption in your agency and how you're overcoming them?
2: I think uh, the biggest mistake that people do is looking at the technology before they look at the business and the mission of the agency. I always say that there's no such thing as IT project, as a business project with IT components. You have to start with the business and what are you trying to solve. Most of these challenges that, that for my experience, I've been in the government close to 20 years. Half of it, it was contractor in the private industry and also the other half in the federal government. The challenge is not the technology. The challenge is the culture, is leading change, change management. and I don't think we do enough of the strategic planning. Just because we have 100 ideas doesn't mean we need to pursue all ideas. We need to look at, you know, strategic planning comes into play. You may have 100 ideas, but you should only pursue one idea through strategic planning. You know, the first thing is really feasibility studies. Is it even feasible to do this? Are there any regression issues? and any downstream impact? Scalability is big, I think, in terms of trying to modernize. Can you prove a concept just because you have this idea people might think it's a crazy idea, but if you do it in a in a tangible way that you could prove that idea is feasible and is scalable because you want to start small and scale out that's big as well. Sustainability is huge as well, just because the project is a success doesn't mean that it's sustainable as your culture, your agency, your process,ing mature enough to take on this new shining toy or sh- you know, this new technology. But the most important part is marketability. I think we, I can't overemphasize that enough. Marketability is big. People don't think that the government markets, but you have to market your ideas. You have to win the hearts and minds of the workforce, the people that are stakeholders. You have to be able to market in different ways to senior leadership, to middle managers, to the workforce. So I think culture is the biggest obstacle, but I think doing a thorough strategic planning, strategic analysis, and putting emphasis on marketability analysis is key. And the biggest part of marketability is human-centered design. It's really engaging the workforce. Our model in terms of Accelerate is that we are not building the solution. We are allowing workforce to build the solution. Getting them engaged, hearing their thoughts and pain points, incorporating Agile and DevSecOps, you know, building something every two weeks and bringing it back to them and say, does this solve your issue? And then we cycle that out every two, three weeks. And that really is the key of getting people to lean in and to win the heart and mind of the people.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, the agile methodology and user-centric design and, you know, keeping the customer in the loop and, you know, being mindful of change management, these are all it's kind of interesting because we talk about technology, but a lot of this as you mentioned is just about managing people and expectations and time frames and doing things in the right order and methodology, right and process. And, you know, the thing that people don't seem to get as excited about, like, you want to talk about AI? I'm like, yes, but you know, AI AI is 5% process people and methodology and data is like the other 95%. So, so that, that's great. It's good to hear that agency. And, and you're, you know, it's kind of interesting as a podcast with a, with somebody who's part of a large governmental agency, but, but this could be an interview with with any fortune, you know, 500, 1000 company, even small, medium sized business. Everybody's basically talking using the same language, which is, which is great to hear that everybody's sort of. Of sort of consistently thinking about technology the same way. So, you know, one of the things that you brought up earlier, which is really intriguing, we haven't had too many podcasts actually on the subject. You know, the other big transformational technology is that blockchain. And you mentioned how not only are you talking about it, but you're actually putting it into production, which is pretty uh, advanced. I think even for most enterprises, it's something where the government may be ahead of industry in this situation. So, you know, as mentioned, HSS is one of the first agencies to adopt blockchain technology. So, can you tell us some of the ways in which you're using blockchain and AI together, and how is this helping to move HHS's mission forward?
2: Definitely. So, we use blockchain for infrastructure use. We're not using it for cryptocurrency. Some folks just can't get around, get away from that cryptocurrency usage for blockchain. We're using it for infrastructure. Using it because you can, you could structure how the blockchain. Function. I mean, there's so many different ways. There's hybrid, there's you know, public, private. There's so many different variations. There's no definition perfect blockchain, so to speak. We use blockchain as almost as a test layer. Basically, having a record on-chain that's immutable, has provenance, has transparency and traceability of the data that's there. So we have basically on-chain database an off-chain database. We use CouchDB on-chain and we use MongoDB off-chain basically just to record the transaction and who's doing what in terms of, uh, you know, how, where are the data going? Who's using the data? So that's full traceability. And that's critical when you, when there's a need now, when we are experiencing big data paradigm shift, you want to know where the data's going, who's using the data, who's acting the data, who's manipulating the data. But with the blockchain, you could really have a immutable record that attests that, you know, the record is there. It has not been altered and you could really trace it. There's a lot of, there, I think there's going to be a lot of usage of blockchain in the future. I think this is, is fairly new. Like I said, you know, shifting culture and trying to get people to buy, and it comes down to marketability and really explain to you the value of blockchain. I think, I think it's going to grow eventually
1: yeah I think so too I mean we'll keep a track on you know there, there's some there's some interesting technologies that are sort of like you know adjacent to this movement of AI and a lot of it has to do with data and in blockchain is a story of data mm-hmm. just yeah. as much as as AI is a story about data and in one case we're trying to get insights from data and, and use machine learning to, to derive uh, find patterns and this and that but With blockchain we're, we're trying to address other issues of, of immutability and, and data provenance and all these other things which we don't have with databases where somebody can just go in there and mess with it and <laughs> <laughs> you know you'll never know yeah
0: yeah so you know it it's very refreshing to hear when government agencies are using these transformative technologies i know that hhs is also they have a reimagine project that's really interesting for our listeners that aren't familiar with this can you share some insights into what exactly hhs reimagine is and what are its goals yes
2: yeah, so reimagine is the goal of Reimagine is to support HSS mission. As I mentioned earlier, it starts with the agency's missions and the business goals and objectives. We, it's always the business. The technology is secondary, at least to me and at least for my experience. So HSS mission is to enhance the health and well-being of all Americans by providing for effective health and human services. So we have five goals to reform, strengthen, and modernize the nation's healthcare system, to protect the health of Americans where they live, work, learn, and play, strengthen the economies and social well-being of Americans across lifespan, foster sound, sustained advances in the sciences, promote effective management and stewardship. So that's, those are the five goals. And reimagine is to, when you think about reimagine, what uh, personally when I think of reimagine is to recalibrate. IT, to support the business, basically to leverage the power of data, restoring market forces, putting people at the center of HSS programs, generating efficiency through a streamlined process, making HSS a more innovative and responsive organization, and basically moving to the 21st century workforce. And that's really critical in terms of changing the landscape and evolving with the ever-changing Big data paradigm shift, technologies, policies are constantly moving. So to conclude on that question is to really recalibrate IT to the mission and objectives and goals of HSS. As I said, and I always say this again, that there's no such thing as IT project. There's a business project with IT components. So it's basically to recalibrate and make sure that IT aligns with the missions and the goals and objectives.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think it's very, as mentioned before, it's very consistent with the way people run these large technology projects, which as you mightfully say, are business projects. You know, they're, they're supposed to be solving some sort of business problem at some point, you know, and the government problems may not be thinking about as business problems, but it's the same thing where you have a customer of some sort, you have a user, you have an environment, you're trying to satisfy those customers, citizens, you know, across the board with services, and yeah, you want the government to respond. You have expectations for how businesses should respond you have many expectations how the government should respond so just sometimes di- different end of the day motivations but the same sort of expectations so that that's really really good to do it so let's talk just a as a final note here you know what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations governments and beyond
2: yeah I think AI and blockchain will be the future, not in just in the public sector, but also in the private sector as well. Think about this. So the past two years alone, we have created more data than a high existence of mankind just the past two years. 90% of the data has been created the past two years, and 80% of that data is unstructured. So there's a need to basically shine a flashlight and gain insight into all this data dark data structure unstructure there's a very a lot of benefits in looking into the data and i think machine learning ai is going to be very useful in terms of not just getting insight into the data but also trying to improve processing as well looking at some of the weak spot looking at some of how we've condensed the process and you start looking at data and you have insight into the data, you could actually start mapping the data and realize that, hey, you know, why do we have 10 steps when we could do this in three steps instead of cutting and paste and putting things in different forms? And data mapping is key and data mining is key. And in terms of looking forward, I think supply chain is going to be big for using blockchain and AI, having that immutable record, having that transparency and traceability from things that are being shipped from A to Z and using AI to illuminate, basically, and having insight into, you know, the data and the uh, items that are being shipped from A to Z. Emergency res- uh, preparedness is going to be big as well. And I always think about A to Z, A to Z, you know, how do we get from A to Z? I think blockchain and AI could really help in those use cases. But since we can't, we can't end without talking about cyber, because that's my background. So I think... I think blockchain and AI will play a major role in cybersecurity. My objective or my goal is to automate the ATO process, the authority to operate uh, process and the CDM process that's run by Homeland Security. And here's how. So the ATO process is heavily paper-based. I always use the analogy of filing taxes. Think of filing taxes early 50, 60. We do everything paper. It takes us, you know... A week, two weeks to file taxes because everything's paper. We have to go to the post office. In some cases, we kind of have to know tax laws and actually have to go to an expert that does, you know, that could do our taxes for us. Early 2000, we could file it online. That still takes a couple of days. Nowadays, with TurboTax, you could do it in a couple hours and you don't even need to be a tax expert if you're filing, you know, personally, not for business, of course. I think there's an opportunity there to mimic that model. You know, when you think about TurboTax, data are pulling from different data sets, running AI machine learning, you even do a predictive analysis on are you going to get audited or not. So think about that and then applying that to the ATO process. ATO process is you're looking at 500 pages of stacks of paper, and I actually map the data, the data that's required for the ATO, the entire ATO process, and map, map that against all the documents that are required. And I noticed that a lot of data are the same. The data sets are the same. We are just cutting and paste. It's a lot of duplicates among the documents. If we apply the TurboTax model and then running AI predictive analysis against each control, there's about five, six hundred controls, security controls for each ATO package. You can run AI against each controls and giving you a confidence score and say, hey, you know, because the, the longest process in the ATO process is the assessment process. Currently, the assessment process, we do a lot of interviews. We do a lot of reviewing documents manually, and we go back and forth with the system owner, security officer, and the assessor. And it, it takes about 45 days to two months. But if you run AI against each control, you give a confidence score and say, okay, this is 80%. The auditor could just come in and say, hey, you know, 80%, let me just look at something, verify it, and move on to the next control. If it's 50% or lower, or you know, it depends on uh, how the agency wants to deal with this. But if it's lower score, the assessor could ask for more information. But also, it fills in the gap. For the system owner and the security officer as well, when they fill out this form, if if it's low score, confidence score of each control, they could say, hey, why am I getting low score? Let me look at the controls again and, you know, provide more information or fix my implementation statement that will actually fill the gap between the two teams and actually optimize the ATO process. And I think that's going to, I think I could do it within the, instead of six months to a year, I think I could do that. I could condense that to two weeks. Wow. But also, on the other hand, think about it. Mm -hmm. The ATO process cycle is about every three years, and then you have your annual assessment every year, so you could, you know, you renew your ATO every three years, you could revoke an ATO. But that's not managing risk. Think about it. Things are changing every day. Your data, your changes are happening every week, every day. You can't wait every three years or every year to revoke ATO because, you know, they're ever-changing. You got DevSec up, you got Agile, things are changing rapidly. When there's a change, you, should, you could run against this solution, almost like a continuous ATO. Basically, you could look at the security, basically security impact assessment, and you do it running instead of every three years, or every year. And then you could really gain insight in your security posture, if it's going down, up, you can isolate it. You can prioritize what you need to address first. So that's continuous ATO, I think, in my view. But also on the CDM front, I think the key is to feed the logs against the blockchain. And, and here's why. Here's the business case and why we need that. We don't do a good job of managing logs. Logs are an afterthought. We do a very good job with logs on the perimeter, like network logs. But when something happens, like if you need to do a root cause analysis or you need to do a forensic investigation, you need to go deep down into the system. You need to look at OS. You need to look at database. You look at some cases, hardware log. You need to look at virtualization log if you're in the cloud. You need to look at IoT, email, network devices. I think collecting all the logs, all the logs in one place, but also decentralize the nodes for each log saying, hey, you know, the CIO would have a node, the CISO would have a node, the OIG would have a node, uh, security authorizer, whoever has a node and says, hey, you know, I know that the logs are there when I need it. And I can test it. I test using, you know, the blockchain again as a test layer. So test that the logs are there, it's complete, it's not being manipulated has not been deleted. We didn't run out of space. We didn't move it to a DR site. Everything's there. And that's very powerful because having that confidence that the logs are there in a manner that's there that we could, in a centralized manner, but also think about it. You could start running AI against the logs now once you have the logs. You could start being proactive instead of reactive against cybersecurity. You could doing uh, threat hunting, threat reconnaissance as well. Almost like a good example is like FBI. You know, they... Profile criminals. You can start profiling threat patterns, bad actors. Why they're hitting us? You know why uh, things are trying to penetrate us during the Super Bowl, uh, at night, or during the holidays. You can whitelist some of the normal process, a uh, normal behavior, and then isolate the anomalies. You can really get very proactive about that, and I think that's that's how you manage risk in real time, instead of pushing paper around and being so reactive because, you know, the hackers are using AI now to probe and to penetrate our environment. We can't fight hackers using AI with paper and pushing paper around. That's right. I (laughs) think we need to fight fire with fire. I think that is the future of cybersecurity in, in my in my perspective.
1: That's great. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting response because when we ask this question about the future of AI, people sometimes look far out <laughs> in the future. Some people think about society, some people think about different aspects. And I like it was a nice, very well thought out answer because the future of AI is in ever in our everyday uh, activities. And at this very, you know, for maybe a very granular level, you're like, well, wow, you know, talk we asked a question about the future of AI and talking about About, you know, taking a look at logs for threats. And and you're thinking, like, yeah, because at the end of the day, to be honest, this can probably be more of that AI activity, machine learning activity happening and blockchain activity happening at that more fundamental level, stuff that we don't see every day, but maybe preventing something that we might see. So I, so it's a really interesting perspective, you know, and I, I think our listeners have, have definitely heard something we've we've never really spent much time talking about on this podcast. So I wanted to thank you, Oki, so much for coming, participating, joining us on AI Today and giving a lot of value to our AI Today listeners.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Kathleen and Ron. This, is, this has been fun.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Oki, and I'm sure that our listeners really enjoyed this one. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including a link to the HHS Reimagine project that we talked about. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more,